there's going to be a lot of distress in the market. And this is going to be a perfect time on the commercial real estate side for you to be smart, make some good acquisitions in Q3, Q4, or even Q1 next year. And so investing in your education right now is the primary thing that I think you could really, really use to take advantage of. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Derek Clifford. Derek and his wife are full-time digital nomads, and they achieved that status, real estate investing. He talks about the three types of freedom. We're going to go through what those are. We go through the digital nomad lifestyle. He is calling from somewhere outside the U.S. I'll let you keep listening and discover where he's calling from today. It's a pretty cool place that he's calling from. We go through how he built systems and delegated day-to-day activities in his business to achieve the time freedom that would allow him and his wife to live overseas. We go through how he got started and scaled in real estate investing and so much more. The digital nomad lifestyle has only become more and more popular and appealing as remote work has grown, as, as knowledge of the viability of real estate investing has grown. And that's what we're digging into today. If you don't think you can achieve it, well, then you've already decided. So if you're interested in the digital nomad lifestyle, the first step is to believe. The second step is to learn how to achieve. And that's what we're going through today. Derek's a wealth of knowledge. He and I were on the line for about an hour and a half. You're just hearing about 30 minutes of our conversation. He's a great guy, so much knowledge in a wide variety of topics, and uh, he shares pretty openly today, so you're going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Fill out the forum, schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Derek Clifford. We're talking about digital nomad lifestyle through real estate. Let's go. Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. We've been talking for an hour already. I'm excited to share your story with our listeners. So would you mind telling us a bit about yourself and your background? Sure, absolutely. And first of all, Taylor, thank you so much for having me on. And it's been a pleasure getting to know you and to talk with you over the last hour. You know, it seems like we have so much in common and and really, really glad to be here. So real quick about me, I'm an engineer and a project manager at heart, left my full-time job in September of 2021. So it's coming up on two years now. And we are a full-time digital nomad. So we are, my wife and I, we travel around the world and Wherever Airbnb is booked, that's where we call home. And we used to invest in, or we, we continue to invest in real estate, but we used to work, I used to work a full-time job and do this as a side hustle, buying single family homes from the Bay Area in buying properties in the Midwest, right? So bought a whole bunch of properties, single families back in the mid 2010s, so much so that we were buying like one every three months or so. And so we got to a point where we maxed out all of our residential loans and couldn't buy anymore duplexes and single families and triplexes and fourplexes. So then we started to get into commercial loans and ended up doing some joint ventures and then ran out of money there too. So we started to look into the amazing world of syndication and got a mentor and then started investing out of state with other people's capital. At the same time, you know, I was really passionate about showing people how this works and people were asking me all these questions. So we started a podcast and I wrote a book 
and got really, really into this whole thing all while working a full-time job at the same time. And then when COVID came, right, it kind of threw everything up in the air. And that was in 2020 in earnest, right? When things really started to get, get moving with COVID. And what ended up happening was we had built up like a portfolio of income for ourselves, Taylor, that was, you know, a nice reasonable level of income coming in, but it wasn't enough to live in the expensive Bay Area that we were in. You know, in order to live in the Bay Area, you're talking, you know, at least $10,000 to $15,000 a month, but paying your mortgage, food, transportation, taxes, and all that stuff that it takes to live in the Bay Area, that's how expensive it is. And so once COVID came, my wife, who is a physician, she lost her place of business. And I, my job became fully remote. And so we turned around and asked ourselves, why are we here in California? Or why are we here in the burbs of the the San Francisco Bay Area? Why are we here? If we had a chance to do it over again right now, would we go in and would we buy this same house and get into the same situation that we were in in the first place? And the answer to that question was no. So long story short, Taylor, basically what we did was we sold our house. And with the passive income that we had coming in, we basically created three degrees of freedom for ourselves. Actually, at the time, we had two of the three. We had of time freedom, location freedom, and financial freedom. We had location freedom and financial freedom, but no time freedom. And the reason I say that is because I was still working a full-time job, so I had to clock in and out each day. But when we're locationally free, I started realizing, man, the income that I'm making in my properties is enough to cover our bills if we were to live in the Midwest or live in Texas or live somewhere else, or even in some foreign countries, right? Because you can live really well off of $3,000 a month, right? In some really nice properties, depending on what city you go in, right? And so once we hit that realization that like, oh my gosh, we can be financially free if we're locationally free, then I started to really look into systems. How do I bring in virtual assistants? How do I build applications and workflows with Zapier and Google Sheets and all of these amazing tools that interact and talk with each other to help make my job more efficient so that instead of spending my time on my full-time job and then another administrative job for my business and then the growth in the business, I'm starting to shrink in all areas of life. I'm able to enable my time freedom alongside of my financial and my location freedom. And so that's brought us to where we are today. Now we have about 500 units that we manage and acquire and asset manage all on our own in the Midwest. Mostly in the Midwest, we also have some properties in the South. And then we have a fund as well that we raise capital for and use that to invest in other people's properties that we would otherwise want to buy ourselves. Otherwise, we do we we manage all all the properties on our own. So that is a quick overview. I know not so quick, but that's an overview of, of where we are right now. <laughs> Wow. So, so much going on and you've, you've achieved a lot. You mentioned you're a digital nomad. Can you tell our listeners where you're calling from right now? Yes. So part of the, the, the really funny piece of us trying to get this call set up is we thought that I had to VPN to a different country to get this call going. But I'm speaking to you from a city called Kanazawa in Japan, which is on the north coast of Japan, just above Kyoto. Awesome. So I love the... Well, everything you've achieved, I'd love to dig into the delegation, building of teams, building of systems, hiring of virtual assistants and everything that you did to give yourself that that level of uh, freedom that allows you to travel like you do, because it's great if you have money coming in from your real estate. But a lot of folks 
find that their real estate can just become another job if they don't treat it uh, like a business and a passive income stream. So tell us about that and building teams and systems and everything. Around yeah, that. Taylor, like it's really funny how it started. It started with the need of a big project that I wanted to do for my business, which was a podcast, right? I thought that I could do everything myself because that's what I am. I'm an integrator at heart. I love to build things. I love to do all that stuff on my own. And, you know, after all, for engineers, our motto is if you want it done right, you're going to do it yourself. That's what it usually is. So what ended up happening was I tried to do a few podcast episodes of just me and my wife talking to each other about how what we were doing in our journey when we started. And that editing process took forever. And I was like, you know what? I started researching, I need some help with all of this and found out that I could get someone to do it for me for like eight to 10 bucks an hour. So that kind of like got us started by default into starting this delegation process, right? And what ended up happening, Taylor, was first we started managing the time and the projects well using Asana. I'm sure you've heard of Asana or maybe use Monday or ClickUp or some sort of project management tool, but it allowed us to coordinate activities with our assistant as he was learning the ropes on building these building these processes, right? And doing the, the video editing for us. And eventually we started giving him more and more things. And as we were doing giving him more and more things, we're recording videos on Loom and we're giving him those instructions and we're having him build out SOPs or build out standard operating procedures on what I said in those videos, which is me just tinkering around and trying to figure it out for them. So in a lot of ways, like right now, the way that this works is it's a very simple cycle. We have a need. There's a business need that comes up. I tinker with it a little bit and try to figure out how to efficiently do it. And then I'll record a video and then I'll let my assistant log and do all of like the, the repetitive parts. So I will trailblaze for him, do a lot of like the, the head work. And in some cases, like we're even getting to the point now where I can just give him the tool and be like, hey, use this and try to figure this out, right? Like here's what may work. And I just tell him on a phone call, on, or on our three times a week Zoom call, this is what, you know, how I would approach doing this, give it a shot and see. And that's kind of culminated into like this relationship where I have one virtual assistant, Taylor, that I'm paying him very fair rates. And he's doing all of my podcast production, all of my social media, all of our newsletters and all of our financial updates, like our books and everything for all of our properties to make it so that we can have a productive asset management meeting with our PMs. So he's doing all of that for us. And pretty soon we're getting to a point where we need to add someone else to help with presentations for my wife and, you know, things like that. But basically that's kind of like the processes. We were very systematic about our approach and we're starting from a solid ground of using Asana and clear communication three times a week, right? For half an hour each. Great. So I'm in the middle of going back and, and rereading. Well, honestly, I'm listening to the audiobook, but of the e-myth, which I read many years ago, and I, I'm circling back on it now. And one of the things that one of the issues that he discusses in that book is that when we hire oftentimes, especially engineering minded type type of folks, when we hire people, we tend to hire and abdicate rather than delegate our activities just hand it off to somebody and say go you you go do it and it's you know fine it's off my plate now and you know I'm done with it did you make that mistake early on how do you avoid getting into that situation where you're just throwing tasks off your plate just to get them off your plate and making sure uh, they're getting done I I have always been someone who has been very service minded so whenever I give something to someone I want to make sure they have the instructions or at least some sort of guidance so I've been very good, you know, and I've been blessed to have that 
you know, the gene in my, in my brain of always considering the other person I'm talking to was a personality trait that I used when I obtained my first employee, right? Was how would it look like in their shoes if they have never seen this before? And so I always approach a problem from that standpoint. It's like, if they've never encountered this, like they won't even know what questions to ask. So for me, it's up to me to kind of anticipate some of these things and give as much information as I can for what I think I can do on that. And that's just upfront. But honestly, Taylor, I think what it comes down to is communication, checking in and being like, that's why tracking is so important. Because if you have a, an Asana register that's got all of the things that are in progress, you can see the things that has been stuck, right, in, in progress for quite some time and it hasn't moved over to ready for approval or ready to check, right? And so you can have a conversation about that and be like, hey, why is this? Is there a problem here or how can I help? And the other layer on top of that is then performances. Like once they get the system down and they, they complete the task completely, you need to be able to tie it back to a KPI. So... For instance, right, like, you know, when we produce podcasts for our shows, one of our KPIs is produce three podcasts or I'm sorry, five podcasts a month, right? And so you can put that KPI in their performance, right? So that way, if things start slipping, right, or you can start that start that target low, like two a month, right? If they're just getting getting started with things, right? You can do all those if you have a way to measure the time and you're actually looking at it during those three meetings per week. So upfront, it's being as clear as you can and giving as much information, not just dumping on their plate, but giving them a little bit of leave room or leeway to figure it out themselves so they have accountability for the result, but also, you know, giving, showing them a potential way forward or showing them how to do it step by step. And then having the communication midway through and then having goals and then reiterating through that with each process. Because every time you do that with each new project, they're going to understand that they're going to be guided through and they're going to be more confident to help you with the next project, right? A lot of some VAs will just shut down and won't know what to do and they'll try to hide it. But if you empower them and say, hey, you've got to talk about this, let's make it happen and be positive with them and be in the trenches with them or be willing to do that, then you're going to have a very successful connection with your VA and then pair that with systems and tools and automations and, and asking them to find automations to help them be more efficient. Now you're talking about a potential five team, five member team can be done with two people or even one person if they're really in your, in your court with you. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's quite a, quite an achievement. I'd also, I'd like to dig in today to the digital nomad, not just lifestyle, but, but the achievement of hitting that level of, of time freedom and some, you know, any words of wisdom you have for our listeners out there who are stuck without those three degrees of freedom uh, that, that you've achieved and, and they want that digital nomad, digital nomad lifestyle or the, the option to be digital nomads, but they're not really sure how to get started, you know, high paying, busy, high paid, busy professional, but they maybe don't see the path from where they are to where yeah, you are. Yeah. So this is a great question and I get this all the time. One of the things that I would do, and we were actually looking at doing this before I actually had quit my, my job is talk with your supervisors and see if there's a way that you can actually get yourself remote. This is why I talk about the three degrees of freedom, because most people, when they pursue financial freedom, they assume that you get to this like promised land, right? Where as soon as you get financial freedom, now you can quit your job and you're good to go, right? It doesn't work that way. You know, I honestly don't think it should work that way. Instead, look at tackling time freedom first, or maybe look at tackling location freedom first. And you can do location freedom with a full-time job. You could totally do that. Even if you have kids at home 
location freedom for you may mean that you're working a full-time job for eight or nine months out of the year, and then you take off three months, right? Maybe you make that arrangement with your boss, or maybe you find a work situation to do that, or maybe you leave a job, right? And then you go and find, like, depending on like what you, what your career situation looks like, give yourself that leeway to preview what your life is going to be like when you have financial freedom. Because I've talked with some people before, Taylor, and they, when you get location freedom, that's like half the battle. You know, you're already pretty much halfway there to getting your time freedom and financial freedom. So if you're working a full-time job and you still need to make money through active income to help support yourself while you're traveling, that's okay. But at least you can fold the laptop down for majority of the of the week and just enjoy yourself in these amazing places around the world, right? And so that's what I say is halfway there, right? To what your full life would be like if you were financially free. So preview that now. Make sure it's something you actually want. Make sure it's something you really want to work hard for and what you would do with it, right? To get yourself ideas for what you can connect yourself with. And when you're out and about and traveling and you're locationally independent, ideas start coming naturally and your mind starts widening. Like, how can I get more time freedom? How can I get more financial freedom as you're out with your with your brain widened, right? And you start to walk up these levels or peel back these layers of freedom, right? So- that's something that I would say is if you really want to, there is no excuse because I'll tell you right now, I'm in Japan and we're living in Japan for less than three, $4,000 a month, right? So the U.S. is actually pretty expensive. So for U.S. listeners out there, depending on, you know, if you're a West Coaster or East Coaster, I can guarantee you right now that even if you have like a, a stack of cash, right? An emergency fund of 150, 200,000, even 100 or 50,000 will go a long, long way to buy you at least a year of freedom somewhere else. And then the worst case scenario is you go back and get a job and do it all over again. So that's kind of some things that I'm challenging the listeners to think about is that you don't have to wait until you turn 60 or wait until you turn 50 to achieve that number that you're looking for. You can preview it right now just by being flexible and trusting in your skills and trusting that you'll be able to get into yourself into a situation that will eventually allow you to go back to this place that you'd wanted that you were before if things don't work out well. So I don't know, a lot there, but hopefully that makes sense. I, I was rambling for a little bit. You know, absolutely. It definitely makes a, a lot of sense. I think the another aspect of this is so we see the end result where you are today or what looks like the the end result where, where you are right now, but we're not seeing all of the work that you put in up front, all the years that it took you to get to this point. I, I don't know the, if you gave this specific year when you bought your first property. I think you said early 2010. Do you remember the exact year when that was? Yeah. So our first property in California was 2015, but our first actual rental property in Indiana or out of state was we got under a contract in 2016, but closed in 2017. So it's actually been only five, six years ago since we started buying out of state seriously. So if you were starting again today, the, the real estate market, no matter where you are, has, has changed in many ways for, you mm -hmm. could say for good or ill, but this is the, the, nat the nature of markets. What moves would you make if you were still, you know, back in your day job, hadn't bought a property yet and you're still yes. living in California? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I think right now is a perfect time for people to jump in and learn how to do this. Education is always going to be something that you'll never regret. That's like kind of the gold standard is that no one's going to tell you to not get educated in this business. I'm just thinking that like the way interest rates and the way like the economy is looking right now, 
it's nothing but upside for us investors. I think this Fed has signaled as of right now, we're kind of in the midway of quarter two in 2023 as of this recording right now. And the Fed has kind of signaled that they're going to most likely start tapering or reducing rates or holding steady for some time. So there's going to be a lot of distress in the market. And this is going to be a perfect time on the commercial real estate side for you to be smart, make some good acquisitions in Q3, Q4, or even Q1 next year. And so investing in your education right now is, is a primary thing that I think you could really, really use take advantage of or find people who know what they're doing, like Taylor, right? Work with Taylor, understand what he's offering and why it makes sense for you and make the decision to, to go all in and learn from a professional. And then if you want to, you can do it yourself, right? On another property. So that's kind of my, my tips right now. And, and, and the last thing I'll say is know where your talents are because if you want to get started in this business and you really like real estate investing, you can do really well by being an active investor, but that's a whole other job. You might want to look at being a passive investor because the money that you make, it's like an, your unfair advantage. If you work in a high salary environment, your unfair advantage is your salary. So leverage that to partner with other people so that you can do what you do best and then let the operators and the people who know what they're doing, they can do what they do best. And it's perfect because you'll learn a whole bunch of things. You'll sidestep a whole bunch of issues and mistakes and frustration that you would make if you did it on your own, including taxes, legal, tenant management, finding a team, construction, rehab estimates, all of that stuff you'll do and you'll have to suffer on your own <laughs> when you're active. The, of course, it's lucrative, and it's, it's, but it's another job. And so I think if you work with someone like Taylor, you may actually end up doing better than if you did on the active side. It's just that there's a layer of learning, an extra layer of learning that you're going to get that only really makes sense if you're going to be in real estate or want to make yourself into real estate as a full-time job later on, which also takes time. So again, bottom line, I think starting passive is probably the best way to go for most people out there. So you touched on a lot of things that are very important. When you first started buying properties out of state from a distance, what were the pieces that you looked to put in place so you could make those acquisitions in terms of your your team, your market knowledge? How did you approach that problem? Yeah, so the major thing was property management. I, I realized how important property management was because just like there's an old adage out there that says, if you have an excellent team and an average investment, I would take that any day over an average team and an excellent investment because the team is going to find a way to make it work. And the property manager is the hub. They are your day-to-day -day contact. They know everything in and out. They have some knowledge of every piece of what needs to be done. And so if you can find a fantastic property manager, right? If you want to do this actively, that's going to be 80% of the battle because they can make refer references for you for agents. Maybe they can even be your agent for you. And that could be a partnership there as well. So that's kind of what happened with us is I focused on going into bigger pockets, finding a whole bunch of property managers. This was back in the mid 2010s. And so back then there was actually some, you know, really, really good. They're great people to connect with. So definitely property managers and then other investors. There's a misconception out there that if you try to talk with your competition, they may steer you in the wrong direction. It, for some reason, Taylor, it just doesn't happen in real estate. Like most people understand that you can, if you partner up with each other, you can get bigger stuff done and more stuff done faster and easier. So there's just that like undercurrent of trust that's kind of in this real estate, especially in the commercial real estate community, which is what I, another thing that I love about it. But I guess long story short, in Indiana, I focused mainly on the team 
And when I went out and flew out to my market from the Bay Area, I didn't drive the streets and tried to find the, the areas myself that I wanted to invest in. I spent all of the time taking these people out to dinner, taking them to lunch, understanding who they were as a person. And that's how I was able to scale really quickly because I found the person that resonated the best with me and had a great track record. So I encourage people to do the same with their operators in passive investments as well. Start with the team first and then start asking questions to do due diligence on everything else. So there you go. I, I love that. Very much a, a who, not how process there. And yeah, just uh, 100%. Some, some great advice. Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Derek, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it, man. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I'd be curious to see how many people have answered this way. And, you know, don't take this the wrong way because this isn't necessarily an investment per se, uh, but it's more of a decision. And I guess it is an investment in time and energy, but I would say my wife, my spouse, that has been the best return on whatever, right? Time, effort, energy, you know, all those things that come with relationships, right? But my wife has been absolutely essential in me setting the right goals, dealing with frustrations and setbacks, and then celebrating wins. And if you show me a successful spouse, then I'll show you a successful person. It's just the way it goes, because you are the average of the five people that you hang out with the most. And if your spouse is a rock star, positive energy, you know, wanting to help other people, has right perspective, encouraging, positive, right? All of those things set you up for success. They just have to. And so I would say that that was the best investment ever, even though it wasn't really an investment per se, but I like to think of it as like kind of a, you know, it was a, it was a decision that then, you know, we put time and energy and effort into as well. I love it. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah, so this one was my first joint venture in Indianapolis my first time buying a commercial property. And, you know, quite frankly, everything went wrong on this. And we bought like a D-class property, knowing that there was going to be a lot of rehab to do. And on top of that, I didn't know who my team, like my team members were as people. Like I thought we were just all cool because we were coworkers, buddies, right? But you really do enter into a marriage when you go into a joint venture and you do a heavy turn. And none of us were in, in Indiana. We were all doing this from the Bay Area. And so I learned a lot about myself and conflict resolution. And it was just a very hard process. We almost lost all of our money a couple of times just because I was willing to walk away because I was so frustrated in dealing with some of the other partners. And we had contractors stealing from us. Like they were basically taking pictures of completed units they were doing for someone else and charging us for the materials and time. Because we weren't there. We weren't there in Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. We had a property managers basically creating fake maintenance requests 
We had a roof fall in. We had police called. We had pests or like infestations, everything, everything you can think of that went wrong. We even had to get private money because we ran out of capital. And we had to like ask our friends outside of this, like to try to put together a pitch deck to raise capital for this thing to help with the rehab so we can refinance and pay them back. And so it was just, it was a really bad experience and we still own the property to this day. But that's the great thing about real estate is that over time, you know, things get better. If you can hold on, right? Demand and inflation is just the way things go with real estate. And so now it's one of our better properties, but man, it was, it was, it was definitely a, it put us through the, the, the grinder for sure. Yeah, those are some pretty tough lessons learned and it sounds like a lot of sleepless nights along the way. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Mm. So I would say to listeners, at least for me, I have a tendency of being impatient and trying to force things to happen before their time. You got to learn how to walk before you run. And I think if you are trying to get ahead of yourself, you're going to you're going to expose yourself to unnecessary risk. And in, in our case, Taylor, like in our business, risk is not our friend. Like we try to mitigate risk everywhere we go. And so being patient with yourself will help you understand who you are as a person and what is the most appropriate decision for you. And so, you know, it's not necessarily real estate related, but it is in, related to investing and your personal perspective. I just think that taking the time to allow things to happen while having a goal and being very intentional about it is great. I'm not saying be complacent, but I'm just saying, you know, learn from the best, take your time. There's no race. You're not in a competition with anyone. Don't fall into the comparison trap. Do things right. And, you know, you'll, you'll get there. You'll get to where you want to go. I love that. Well, Derek, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing all this knowledge and frankly, spending this long on the line with me alone. <laughs> if folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to do this. And thanks for having me on, Taylor. And easiest place you can go is elevateequity.org forward slash podcast. There you can check out all of our podcasts on the three degrees of freedom. And I have a feeling, Taylor, maybe you and I should talk about that. Maybe we can we can have you on ours as well. Do a little podcast swap. But yeah, just check us out wherever you consume your podcast. It's the three degrees of freedom podcast with me, Derek Clifford. So that's that's it. Easiest places. Oh, and social awesome. media. We're on all of them. So just look us up on social media. Great. Well, you know, any of our listeners reach out and do get in touch. You're, you're going to have a great conversation. I know that much. And I want to thank you once again for joining us today. And to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And to our YouTube viewers, hit that subscribe button, hit the thumbs up, the notification bell, all that stuff you hear people say so you can catch us again in the future. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.